morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Wednesday, July the 6th, and here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. Ronan President Paul Kagame, his DRC counterpart Felix Shisekedi, and mediator Angolan President Joao Lorenzo meet to discuss bilateral tensions. First of all, I wish for the best for all of us, for both of us, Congo and Rwanda. But if the best doesn't come, it should always find me prepared for the worst. So that's, that's the first way I approach it. And Nigerian presidential candidate Prince Adewole Adebayo of the Social Democratic Party talks with me about his political platform as Nigerians prepare for elections next February. Unfortunately for the country, the poverty has gotten worse over three decades now. And now on top of that, we have insecurity. So this time around, we're running on hope again, 2023, a farewell to poverty and insecurity. And the government of Iswatini warns its citizens about who they follow or associate with on social media. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Ronan President Paul Kagame, his DRC counterpart Felix Shisekedi and mediator Angolan President Joao Lorenzo met Tuesday in Angola for discussions over Rwanda DRC tensions. Details of the meeting have not been revealed, but the Rwandan government says that the DRC continues to defy agreements. Eugene Wimana has more from Kigali. Since tensions in Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo erupted, Angola's President Joao Lorenzo has been mediating in the bilateral standoff. It is yet known what we come out of the meeting with Rwandan President Pokagame and DRC's leader Felix Chisakedi. But in a televised interview on Monday, the Rwandan president accused the DR Congo of constantly defying meeting resolutions. But things keep changing even after the meetings. Even when we, what we have agreed in the meetings, when we are out of the meetings, things start changing. We have had three meetings, two of which I attended, one I wasn't able to attend. As tensions continue to surge, Rwanda's position remains unchanged. It says it does not support the M23 groups, but asserts that the Congolese army is working hand-in-hand hand with the FDAR rebel group, a group of genocidal killers who fled Rwanda in 1994 that have been trying since then to destabilize the country. DRC is supporting FDRR, and unfortunately, with the knowledge of MONUSC, the UN force on the ground, President Kagame adds that though he would like to see improved relations with the DRC, he's also ready should anything fail. First of all, I wish for the best for all of us, for both of us, Congo and Rwanda. But if the best doesn't come, it should always find me prepared for the worst. So that's, that's the first way I approach it. I prepare for the worst, but wish for the best. Rwanda accuses Congolese forces of injuring several civilians in cross-border sharing. Insecurity incidents continue in eastern DRC. The M23 is trying to seize many parts of the DRC. The conflict there has been growing and has become regional. Rebel groups in the eastern DRC come from almost all neighboring countries. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Kigali, 
Rwanda. On June the 12th, Nigerians celebrated Democracy Day to commemorate 22 years of peaceful transfers of power without interference from the military. To mark the occasion, Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari promised that the next year's presidential elections would be free, safe and transparent. As Nigerians prepare to head to the polls next February for the seventh time since the return to multi-party democracy in 1999, they are being courted by a number of candidates vying for the top office, hoping to succeed President Buhari. They include former Lagos Governor Bola Tinubu of the ruling All Progressives Congress, APC, and former Vice President Atiku Abubakar from the main opposition People's Democratic Party, PDP. They will be competing for votes with other candidates, including Prince Adewole Adebayo of the Social Democratic Party. That's the party of the late Chief Mashud Kayode Abiola, who many believe was the undeclared winner of the annulled elections on June 12, 1993. And as Nigerians struggle with the impact of the global pandemic and rising food and fuel prices, Prince Adebayo tells me that Nigerians are looking to change the political status quo and that next year's election will likely be one of the most significant in Nigeria's post-election political history. Let's talk about your pol- political platform. What would you say are some of the main problems facing Nigeria right now? And how do you plan to fix them? So what I'm running on is the same platform of uh, farewell to poverty. Unfortunately for the country, the poverty has been gotten worse over three decades now. And now on top of that, we have insecurity. So this time around, we're running on hope again, 2023, a farewell to poverty and insecurity. Okay. But in 1993, it was farewell to poverty. But now it's poverty and, and insecurity. insecurity. Yes. Okay. And Nigeria has been suffering or struggling with endemic corruption for many years. And the name is synonymous with corruption when you say Nigeria, whether it's in Nigeria or outside here. It's, why is it been difficult for the successive governments to to get rid of corruption, to fight corruption? Yeah, we see Nigeria as a people are synonymous with many good things. Uh, it is the government that has been synonymous with corruption. And why they have not been able to change is because they haven't changed. So when you change the government or uh, an administration, you just re- recycle the same people. So they will not change their behavior. Uh, even though they just reshovel themselves because you have a four-year term, so you need to leave, uh, but a version of you comes back. So what Nigerians are trying to do now is the only way to kick corruption out of the country uh, because you cannot kick uh, poverty and you cannot kick insecurity unless you kick corruption. And the way to kick corruption is to kick those who are corrupt out of government. Mm. So that's what we are trying to do in uh, 2023. And how do you convince Nigerians that you're the man for the job, that you're the one who's going to solve the issue of corruption and insecurity in this case, that you will not be the same cookie-cutter politician who asks for their votes, take the power, and then forget about them? I think they know that already because... In all these years, we've not partaken in the corruption of the government. We've not joined them. We've not supported them. We've not been their back carrier. Uh, many of the people you see succeeding them today have been part of the system. We are completely different. We're from the people. Uh, so Nigerians know that. And uh, our messaging is very clear. We know that the problems of Nigeria are 
human-made problems. Nigeria, ordinarily, the way it's designed, is not supposed to have any problem. Everything works in the country. Uh, every resource you can use to develop yourself is there. The human capacity is also there. And with all of these opportunities for the country, uh, it's unfortunate that the only malice that the country has is bad governance. So the people know that we, this is the reason why we are running. If we were part of the system, we should have been part of the system uh, all this while. There is nothing wrong in the system from the point of view of those who are inside it. So those who are outside, like me, that see something wrong in the system. Mm -hmm. And if you see the behavior of the ruling party, the APC, and the, uh, the party they took over from, uh, the SDP, you will, uh, PDP, you will see that even as they are behaving today, they behave as if nothing is wrong. I, I, the whole world can see that some, Nigeria is going the wrong direction, the country is carrying into a ditch of some sort, but they can see it because that's the only thing they know is um, the politics of doubling your money. So you come into the government, you support someone to come in, and it's now you're part of the gravy uh, train and you continue to loot the country the more. So it's now the young people, the outsiders, the third force are coming together to try to push a new narrative, to push an ordinary person into the government. And we can now, from within, actually throw away uh, the system. If we don't throw away the system, you can give the country a thousand years, nothing is going to change. That was Nigerian presidential candidate Prince Adewale Adebayo of the Social Democratic Party. He joined me in studio here at The Voice of America. Tune in for the second part of our conversation later on in the week right here on Daybreak Africa. Daybreak Africa continues. The government of Iswatini is cautioning its citizens to be careful about who they follow or associate with on social media. Government spokesperson Alfioas Nkrumalo says that some on social media incite and promote violence against the people and government. Prime Minister Cleofas Dlamini last week declared as terrorists the Swaziland News and its editor Zueli Martin Dlamini for their critical reporting. The online paper registered in South Africa says that its editorial policy is to, among others, promote democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. It describes itself as the voice of the voiceless in Iswatini, where it says there is no democracy and free speech. But spokesperson Trumalo tells viewers James Barty that the government has the right to warn citizens about online indoctrination. Government has only taken a stand to declare Zueli Martin and his associated online newspaper as a terrorist entity. You can go to all his space on social media and to his online newspaper where he is engaging, encouraging and rewarding the so-called international solidarity forces who are committing acts of arson in the kingdom, destroying properties of government and of private citizens. In a government, like any parent, even in your own household, you would warn, you would encourage, and you would speak to your, your children not to go to the website or internet and begin to read the doctrines that are being splashed there by a terrorist organization. That's why in America you've got your hands full today dealing with gun shootings at school because a parent government has abdicated its responsibility to advise citizens that use your discretion. Be responsible both of what you look at and follow and like on social media 
and what you encourage and engage with on social media. But these people who have been labeled as terrorists, they are expressing their right under the Constitution, the right to freedom of speech. And you believe them because you choose to believe them. I'm giving evidence of the particular person who have asked me as to why the government declared him as a terrorist entity. We are not running a beauty context here. We are running a government. We are running a state. We can only do so by applying the laws of the land. They are not expressing their freedom of thought. They are jeopardizing the peace and the stability and the security, not only of the country, but of the, the nation itself. What do you say to those who say they want democracy in Eswatini? They want the right to choose who their leaders will be. We have been doing that almost the entire history of this country. We have a very democratic system of governance, which is constituency based or county based in terms of your own experience in the U.S. On the 30th of June, there was a commemoration about yes. the June 30th, 2021 violence. The purpose of that protest was that the people said they needed the right to choose their own prime minister. And you are telling me that there's democracy in Eswatini. You are either being creative or you have been hoodwinked to a political propaganda. June 29, 2021 was an activity that, that was organized during the night by political thug and political terrorists who wanted to institute an insurrection, who wanted to destabilize the country. And in the process of their faithful endeavor, people died. As to who caused the death of those people, nobody knows. The commission and the investigation that has been done has never apportioned blame to anyone because in any case, my brother, who was there in the night to know who does what to who and how? Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, my brother. Alfias Nkrumalo is the spokesman for the government of Iswatini. He was speaking from the capital, Mbabane, with VOA's James Bati. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. In Nigeria, a Catholic priest kidnapped by armed bandits in Kaduna State early Monday has been freed barely 24 hours into his abduction. Timothy Obiezu has more on a spate of attacks on churches and clergymen in the country. Reverend Father Emmanuel Silas gained his freedom on Monday night after spending only hours in captivity. He's a parish priest of St. Charles Catholic Church in Cairo area of Kaduna State who was kidnapped earlier in the day. This, according to the Catholic Chancellor of the Kafenchan Diocese in Kaduna State. It's not clear if any ransom was paid to free the clergyman. But the Catholic Church in Nigeria has recently come under scrutiny following weeks of attacks and kidnappings of church leaders and members. Last week, armed men attacked and killed a priest on his farm in Kaduna State. In separate attacks, two other priests were kidnapped in Edo State. One of them was later found dead in the nearby bush. Last Thursday, hundreds of Catholic priests protested the killings during the burial of one of the slain priests. They marched in the streets and chanted, Bishop of the Kaduna Catholic Diocese, Matthew Ndagoso, criticized authorities during the protest. Nigerians are traumatized. Nigerians are at the brink of losing hope. People 
see no reason why they should leave now because of what has happened. I think I feel devastated. Within one year, I am burying three priests. On June 5th, heavily armed men invaded a Catholic church in southwest Nigeria and murdered 40 worshippers using guns and explosives. 87 people were injured, including some who lost their limbs in the attack. Nigerian authorities pointed a finger at the terror group, the Islamic State West Africa province, ISWAP, but church authorities, including the Christian Association of Nigeria, have been criticizing the spate of attacks on churches and say religious authorities must take security more seriously. Joseph Darmola is the General Secretary of the Christian Association of Nigeria. If you are in your house, your house is under threat, what will you do? You fortify yourself. It's only a stupid person that will not watch his back when he's under attack. It is very important, imperative, absolutely necessary that churches should take security properly. And it's been announced in the church. Don't be careless. If you suspect anybody amongst yourself. Nigerian authorities have repeatedly pledged to address security issues. The police on Monday rescued an Italian priest and two others abducted in a state over the weekend. They also killed three kidnappers. But church authorities say the brutality they face will be remembered on the ballot next February when Nigeria goes to the polls to elect a new president. Timothy Obiezu, Daybreak Africa, Abuja, Nigeria. Malawi's National Organization for Nurses and Midwives says that about 2,000 nurses will leave the country this year for jobs in Saudi Arabia and the United States. The group says that the nurses are forced to take jobs abroad due to high unemployment in Malawi. Human rights campaigners say the brain drain is alarming as more than half of nursing positions in the country's public hospitals are vacant, which the government blames on lack of funding. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Malawi's National Organization of Nurses and Midwives says that currently more than 3,000 trained nurses in Malawi are unemployed. Shouts Meza is president of the organization. We feel the pinch that uh, the unemployed nurses and midwives have gone through and are going through. You know, having graduated with the qualification, having been licensed to practice, you know, for over five years without being recruited is not an easy way of doing things. It is a pity that our system is, is not matching in terms of the labor market and the service, the job that we have at hand. Smeza says the first group of 1,000 nurses is expected to leave for Saudi Arabia this August. To state, we, we are working on a memorandum of understanding now, the MOU, which depicts that uh, we will be, as Malawi, sending 1,000 nurses every year for a project of five years. George Jobin is the executive director for the Malawi Health Equity Network. He's concerned the nurses going abroad do not know enough about the jobs they are taking. You also look at their welfare. Who else has gone to such countries and checked the facilities, healthy facilities they work and under what conditions? These are some of the issues. But paramount to everything is that we wish these were included right here.
but Smeza says the organization has received assurances. Here in Malawi, we will have a paperwork um, uh, signed by Ministry of Labor, the Minister of Labor, um, uh, ourselves and, uh, as an organization, Minister of Health and um, uh, uh, the agent. The other side too, so we are looking at the Saudi Arabia as a, as, as a government and then the agent plus the responsible that side. Government statistics show that 65% of nursing positions in public hospitals in Malawi remain vacant. Dorothy Ngoma is the advisor to the president on maternal mortality and reproductive health. Ngoma, who is also a former president of the nurses' organization, warns that unless the government finds a way to boost pay for nurses, many more will leave the country. Even the ones that are in the mainstream would would choose to quit government jobs here and go to U.S. and earn more money, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it definitely might cause brain drain, and that's not good for Malawi. However, the Malawi government says it cannot hire more nurses now because of financial concentrates. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And let's go to East Africa in Uganda, where following the suspension of an arts teacher's strike, the government says that it will continue to discuss with instructors on how to improve their salaries. But some analysts say the failure of the government to increase the arts teacher's salaries may harm students' learning. Reporter Mugume Davis Rwakarinji has more from Kampala. Arts teachers in Uganda have suspended the industrial action after nearly a month. The strike was announced after the government raised salaries only for science teachers by over 300%. Ugandan President Yuelim Seven says he wants to promote science as a tool for development. After meeting with arts teachers' representatives on Monday, Museven said his government does not have enough money to fund all instructors. He tweeted, quote, We have a strategy and no one should disrupt us. We are aware of the issues and we are committed to handling them. Therefore, my advice to the teachers is that they should go back and teach. Unquote. Addressing journalists on Tuesday, Uganda's Minister for Information, Dr. Chris Wadiomon, said the government is committed to increasing teachers' salaries, but not now. We are saying you are raising concerns about pay, and your concerns are genuine. That's the government. They say your concerns are genuine. But the plan we have as government that we are going to enhance the pay for all public servants, including teachers. But we are going to do it in a phased manner. Teachers in Uganda earn 380,000 Uganda shillings, or about $100 per month. Announcing their decision to suspend the strike, they said it was for the benefit of learners. Christine Birinjiro, economic analyst in Uganda, welcomes the teacher's move. She says it is important for students of lost years of study because of COVID-19 pandemic to get an education. She, however, says it is important teachers' concerns are addressed immediately so they are not demoralized. Ultimately, we are watering down the quality of education, the, the, the skills that are passed on to our learners. The learners are the ones who will at the end of the day, bear the brunt uh, of such of, of, of such uh, actions. So we urge government, if you are incentivizing uh, 
teachers. Let us do this across the board. Political economy analyst Harold Kaija agrees. He says with lesser pay, teachers will be forced to look for alternative ways to supplement their incomes. So you will see the body in class, but not the mind. And when you don't have the, the, the mind in the class, then even the quality of education you will get in as far as what they impart in our children will always go down. You, you heard the teachers say that, yes, we have been forcing to go to back to class. The government has not given a timeline as 20 teachers' salaries will be enhanced. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarindin Kampala, Uganda. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vunganyi in Washington wishing you a great week ahead.